Watch out, giant ham sandwich incoming. My friends, the great experiment. Down on the Lord, thanks, thanks. Hit it, drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star drink. Welcome to Greatest Trek, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How you doing, Adam? I was just telling you off mic, on mic, but off mic. That's what we call our, our before show times. Me and the dog are feeling a similar way about some digestive things. You told me that she jumped into the tub. Was she doing anything in there? No, she's, I mean... It's hot in LA. Yeah. As it's been for weeks. And she often prefers to either lay on a non carpeted floor or oh, yeah. in a shower stall for the coolness. I learned the name for this recently. Yeah. But you know, when the dog lies down and like extends their legs behind them, frogging? That is called a sploot. Oh. And I learned this because my uh, a family member was telling me about an article he read that the uh, the squirrels in Central Park are doing this and people are worried about them. And the like animal experts had to be like, no, no, it's normal for an- animals to cool themselves off by doing a sploot. I've never heard a yoga instructor call my child's pose that. <laughs> child's pose is a little more classy yeah. than sploot. Hanging out with my wife's family and learning a word like sploot is just about as much as I can handle in terms of unusable opportunity to make a cum joke. <laughs> God, no kidding. You're just biting your lower lip, waiting yeah. for someone to tell that to. I'm just like in the corner, like <laughs> just just shoot me a text under the table, man. I'll yeah. be there for you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I got to do. Yeah, <laughs> I got to expend my bit ordinance on a different pause. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm I'm usually usually your target for that kind of thing. Yeah, Adam, uh, we had a. Uh, Friend of the show, a friend of DeSoto, send in a bunch of Star Trek Discovery trading cards. We both have big decks of these here. These are just uh, episode cards, but they've got different, lots of different pictures for lots of different episodes. Thought it might be fun to uh, shuffle these up and have a little bit of a, a Star Trek Discovery themed card war before we get into lower decks today. How about that? I'm into it. All right. We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is century is behind us. War! We're going to war! These decks are big, so they're a little bit tricky to shuffle, but I'm going to do my best here. I haven't unwrapped my brick yet. Hold on. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm jabbing a knife into it and rubbing a card on my gums. Where did you get this stuff? Columbia. What's tricky about these is they don't have all the same backing, so you, there's no surprise when you turn it over. So I think we're going to have to kind of blind flip these. So we've got to shuffle these because they're in episode order? I think so. I think they're in the same order, crucially. So. <laughs> Would you have believed, if you were to guess how many episodes in Star Trek Discovery there were, that there would be this kind of stack? I mean, this looks like a big stack. It is a big stack, but I think more that stack than episode. I think there's a lot more cards than there are episodes. There's like several per app. I see. Well, when you uh, when you dropped the knife through the plastic wrapping of your brick, did uh, did it taste like it was pure shit? It's pretty good for shit. I am non-surprisingly a good shuffler of cards, and these cards are just so stiff. They're not really made to be shuffled, are they? Not at all. I'm finding a way. Life uh, finds a way. Randomization uh, finds a way. (laughs) I've been doing the kind of shuffling where you kind of like get half of them and then you kind of toss like a random few from the top into the the stack. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's working or not. It's working. It all works. It's not interleaving them the way a, a fan shuffle does. I think I'm pretty randomized. I'm randomized enough that I feel like I'm ready. Fan shuffle. Pfft. Is that not an accepted shuffling strategy anymore? No, it is. 
It totally is. I've uh, I've commingled my two halves of deck, and now I think we've got one unified card theory here. Okay. I'm not looking down. Honor system, we're not looking down. I'm just going to draw from the middle of the deck, too. Oh, that's smart. Let's that's do it. very smart. All right. Three, two, one. All right, Adam. I've got a the Vulcan Hello card, and it's just a it's a shot of Philippa Giorgio Prime Edition. So you got the the premiere episode. I got the premiere episode. The premiere captain on the back. She's aiming a gun at somebody. I was an appreciator of Michelle Yeoh as anyone would be for a long time before her appearance on Star Trek Discovery, but now, yeah. Now I just full on enthusiastically give myself to her. Yeah. She's just one of the greatest of all time. She really is. She's a goat. Uh, oh, there's some text on here. Giorgio rejects Burnham's advice as Starfleet does not fire first. Burnham subdues her captain with a Vulcan neck pinch and tries to take command, ordering the ship's weapons to target the Klingon vessel. Giorgio recovers in time to belay that order just as a flotilla of Klingon ships arrives. Oh. Do you have a, an interesting card to share? I really feel like anything Michelle Yeoh related is going to be difficult to beat. What I have is Into the Forest I Go, a card with, with Stamets <laughs> on the front. And on the back it says, Starfleet calls Discovery back to Starbase 46. Lorca orders warp speed. Rather than a jump to give the crew time to crack the Klingon's cloaking technology, Burnham and Tyler will board Cole's ship with two sensors, which will transmit the necessary data to Discovery. Stamets will then make... 133 micro jumps to provide a 3D map of the Klingon ship's position. I remember this. This is oh, yeah. the jump episode. Was that the exciting conclusion to season one? Are you seeing what the dog did back there? <laughs> yeah. My puppy is now behind the couch cushions. She's uh, she's remade the couch in her own image, something that Darwin is uh, very fond of doing. She's never done this before. <laughs> Ben, I think you and I are on the same page in terms of Star Trek Discovery's kind of stumble out of the blocks. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I'm going to say that in a card war scenario, I would kind of prefer Into the Forest I Go as a episode versus episode conflict. It was a season that finished a lot stronger than it started. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to agree with you on that. All right. One for me. Do you want to do best of three with this card or? All right. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's grab for another one. Three, two, one. Wow, Adam, I've got <laughs> a card from Choose Your Pain. And it is Tilly Stamets and Burnham down in the uh in the science lab looking at some DNA on screen. I don't quite remember what they were doing. Oh, here we go. The, uh, here's the description. On Discovery, Stamets, Burnham, and Tilly search for a species that can substitute for the tardigrade in a spore drive. Burnham suggests injecting tardigrade DNA into a human, an idea that Saru angrily rejects. He confines her to quarters. Discovery's next jump puts it within weapons range of the Klingon ship holding Lorca, but the tardigrade collapses. Gotta say, every time I hear Lorca's name, I get excited. One of the really fun characters of Star Trek Discovery, I think. Oh, man. Yeah. It'd be great if Prime Lorca showed up at some point. I agree. Ben, the card I have drawn is from Into the Forest I Go. The same episode from my previous card. <laughs> on the front is, looks like Admiral Bob wounded oh, on man. the ground and, and Burnham tending to her wounds. Looks like a post-action scene there. Discovery jumps back to Pavo and begins taking fire from Cole's ship of the dead. Burnham and Tyler beam aboard, set the first sensor, and make a remarkable discovery. Admiral Cornwall is hurt, but alive in the ship's burial chamber. Laurel is there too. She recognizes Tyler. When he sees her, he experiences flashbacks of horrific surgery. Oh, goes yeah. into shock. This is his like event horizon flashbacks. Uh, the the sex surgery. Yeah, is how that went down. I miss Ash Tyler too. Yeah, I miss Laurel. I miss all these characters. I miss Admiral Bob. Yeah, bring back Admiral Bob. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go back. What if they go back in time? Yeah, they got to go back in time. Go around the sun in the opposite direction. 
Yeah. Bring him back. Bring him back. All right. I think it's difficult to make the case for a rerun. Yeah. Which yeah. is what I'm going to consider my card. Yeah. I mean, coming up with the idea of injecting tardigrade DNA into Stamets was a kind of a, a major turning point in that season. So yeah, looks like it's about one-to-one at this point. Sure is. Let's go to the final card, the tiebreaker. Let's do it, Adam. Three, two, one. Ben, my car is the war without, the war within. Mm. On the cover is a pensive-looking Michael Burnham. Oh, yeah. Showing you and the viewers. She looks pensive as hell in that picture. Sarek meets secretly with Georgiou, who offers certain victory over the Klingons in exchange for her freedom. Sarek returns to Vulcan and presents Georgiou's intel to the Federation Council. Meanwhile, Stamets' spore growth project on the Veda moon is a success. Burnham finally visits Tyler, but the two cannot find their way back to their former relationship. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it gets a little confusing down there. Yeah. You're expecting to see two dongs, and and instead you just see one. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) What's my other hand supposed to do? (laughs) Uh, My card is from Context is for Kings. Yeah. Early episode, but uh, a good Lorca episode, if memory serves. Six months after Burnham's court-martial, the USS Discovery rescues Burnham and three other convicts from a damaged prison shuttle. Commander Landry escorts them to the mess hall where two of the convicts attack Burnham. After she quickly incapacitates them, Landry takes her to meet the captain. Damn. Damn. On the back is a... Burnham like walking through the lunchroom with her tray of food, her shit on a shingle, if you will, wearing her Starfleet issue prison jumpsuit. I like that context just for King's episode. I do too. And I've got to say, I believe I prefer it to the war without the war within. Boy. I think you've won card war, Ben. The first card war of greatest trek. And, uh, yeah. and, and the W goes to Team Harrison. Yeah. No controversy there. I think wow. you won it fair and square. Wow. Well, uh, I'm going to be riding high off this victory, Adam, but uh, why don't we see if we're riding high off of this episode? It's season three, episode three of Lower Decks, Mining the Mind's Minds. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Unknown. Black alert. Unknown. Black alert. We open on a fairly rusty planet where we see an older scientist rummaging around down there he finds a glowing green orb Mm. and when he scans this thing ben you'll never believe what he finds it's gina marino his seventh grade geology teacher what are you doing in space an inner revealing toga who appears like the red baron pizza man and she knows (laughs) all kinds of things about him yeah i mean when you see glowing green in star trek it's either borgs or fuck candles right yeah and this is definitely in the fuck candle category yeah Gina Marino, uh, I don't believe kitted out the way she probably was when she was teaching his seventh grade bio class, right? Right. Unless it was uh, LARP day or something. (laughs) Horny LARP day? Yeah. (laughs) And poor Tony is just powerless against her charms. Come here. Let me brush your hair. Yeah. He reaches out and grabs her hand and damn, dude gets turned right into a statue. Yeah, you think they're just out by themselves, but camera tilts up and there's a rock-hard stranger (laughs) watching from a distance. Yeah, he likes to watch. Yeah, where did that guy come from? After the opening credits, we get to see one of the most beautiful ship butts in the fleet, Adam. God, no kidding. The USS Hood hanging butt in orbit of Genghis 4. And uh, something I took great umbrage with which is that uh, the Carol Freeman voiceover is describing a Captain Murakami of the USS Hood doing the diplomatic portion of this mission? What? Captain Murakami of the USS Hood. Captain Murakami. Can I say, your orders are to cooperate fully with him. Best of luck, folks. Put out. I was heartbroken too, Ben, but then the longer I thought about it, the happier I became. Because I like to think... The Captain DeSoto isn't going to work forever. He's not going to work until he dies. Huh. 
Maybe he's enjoying the quiet life in retirement. Do you think he got tapped for the big chair? He went up to Admiral? Is he like teaching at the academy? Is he is he doing something that he likes? I just want to know that DeSoto is happy. He's the best boss I ever had. I mean, it seemed like he was a little bit dissatisfied with just hauling his butt back and forth on diplomatic missions. But he said it in kind of a wry way, you know? Like he secretly did enjoy it. Right. And he liked that that was his job. Right. Like he said it in a way that would undermine any smugness that a galaxy class captain might have. Captain DeSoto is so beloved, though, I find it hard to believe that he would be punished with a promotion yeah. the way that that a Kirk momentarily was, you know? Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, I had watched this episode before we interviewed Mike McMahon on the episode that aired a couple of weeks ago, and I really wanted to ask him about this, but I also didn't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> I, oh, I you could have. I know, but I I mean, like, I know that this isn't actually a spoiler by any yeah. measure, but sure. I felt like if if it is a spoiler for anyone, it is a spoiler for Adam Pranica. That's true. <laughs> so I didn't bring it up, but... Uh, it's hard to imagine a universe where DeSoto isn't the captain of the hood. Isn't that, like, the question in your mind, though? Like, what was the conversation behind the scenes? Because there's no voice here. Like, maybe they would have had to pay a likeness right, and it would have made the episode, you know... $5,000 more expensive or something. You know what? I mean, but that was a piece of trivia we did pick up by talking to Mike McMahon is you need to be very careful with the callback decisions you make because every little line item really adds up and you're, and you're taking from one episode to give to another. I mean, the horrifying truth might be <laughs> that they didn't think it was important to have the real Captain DeSoto on this episode. I mean, <laughs> hey, is it too late to retroactively cancel the interview episode with Mike McMahon? Yeah, let's pull that one out of the. We, you know what? It, it, another thing that he talked about in that episode is now understanding why you know directors would go back and fiddle with their movies. And I feel like to make our podcast better, I just want to torch the whole thing. He was so fun and funny and charming with us, but he fucking knew what he did. Yeah. There was a knife behind his back the whole time. He fucking looked us in the eyes and answered those questions like he hadn't fucking betrayed us. <laughs> and every friend of DeSoto out there. Like he hadn't fucked us. Mike McMahon, if you're listening, you made an enemy today. <laughs> hey, I'm not tolerating any DeSoto erasure at all. There better be an episode that resolves what happened to Captain DeSoto in this season. Or I walk. He's still alive in my heart. Yeah. But God damn it. He better be actually alive. God! Universe. Fucking damn it! <laughs> Fuck! Where'd he go? Ah! I just want to know! <laughs> ben. Go give it to you. He go give it to you. Ben. Go give it to you. He go give it to you. Ah. <sighs> I could spend the entire episode talking about <laughs> what happened to Captain DeSoto, the best fucking boss anyone in Starfleet's ever had. No kidding, man. Instead, we learned that Captain Murakami uh, patched things up between the Starfleet scientists. No one's calling Captain Murakami the best boss that they've ever had. No, no one. Nobody. This guy's standing there like a fucking statue. Like he's been turned to stone. Yeah, he walks out of there like he, you know, he's like wiping his hands off, like did all the diplomacy. Later, potatoes. Yeah, DeSoto would never. DeSoto is not leaving a string untied. This Murakami got out of there way before the job was done. Yeah. What a dickhead. Yeah. Because it's explaining like, oh yeah, that the outpost scientists and the scrubble, the the silicate-based life forms that live on this dump of a planet were fighting and the scrubble use the glowing orbs to trick the scientists. But uh, but Murakami sorted all that stuff out. Are we to believe that that's actually how it went down? No fucking way, man. No fucking way. Murakami isn't fit to take a dump in DeSoto's old ready room. <laughs> yeah. Get him out of there. Actually, maybe he is. Maybe that's the punishment like for not being as good as DeSoto. He's the one captain in Starfleet that has to take his own dumps. They don't beam him out for him. 
I mean, maybe it's not Murakami's fault. <laughs> maybe he's just following orders. This is a giant bureaucracy. Yeah. You know who else was, quote, just following orders, Adam? Yeah. Hitler. Yeah. He was. <laughs> <laughs> There's a briefing where Ransom is explaining that uh, the Carlsbad and the Cerritos have been tasked with doing some of the, the mop-up after this diplomatic coup. But Ransom is uh, dragging these outpost scientists. Because they're weirdos! Mariner calls him out. She's like, hey, like maybe you should get into stand-up because you're always doing bits. Is this a mission briefing or a stand-up routine? I really love the umbrage that Ransom takes with the idea of there being a shortcut to galactic exploration that the scientists have taken. Like his <laughs> his biggest beef seems to be that like he went to Starfleet Academy and and he had to go to boot and all that. Like he had to pay his dues and these fucking olds yeah. get a diploma and a ride out into the quadrant. And they're always getting into trouble. Yeah. And then Starfleet, you know, it's like corporate bailouts, you know? Starfleet always winds up picking up the bill yeah. when they get in trouble. Can you imagine being told that the hood is en route to rescue you after a bad scientific decision? And it's this fucking Murakami guy? And you're like, ugh, that guy's worse than Hitler. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've established that Murakami is worse than Hitler. <laughs> the mission as stated by Ransom here, <laughs> is that they got to go down to this planet and remove all of these psychic minds. And they better do a great job because this other California class parked next to them is going to be watching. Cali class gets real gossipy. Yeah. The USS Carlsbad is there. It's going to be three of our four favorite lower deckers, not Tendi, because Tendi is starting her training as a senior science officer. She's psyched. She couldn't be more psyched. And for Tendi, that's kind of a big statement. It really is. I mean, I think she's psyched because homework is going to be a big part of this in her imagination. And uh, she is, like Rutherford, a real, uh, you know, kicking ass at the science fair kind of character. Yeah. So she's just looking forward to proving herself through a bunch of rote exercises. But when she arrives in the lunchroom to find out who is going to be training her, it is not who she's expecting. It's me! <laughs> it's I. Wait, what? Yeah. Pretty much the last person I was expecting was Dr. Miglamo. Yeah. In there. Yeah. And uh, it sucks. Like, not even Tendi can, can hide her disappointment here. Oh. Great. <laughs> you think that whatever species Maglimo is and Klingons look at each other's food and are like, damn, that looks dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wormy, noodle-based diets. Mm, a warrior's dinner. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. I guess this is breakfast, right? Like, this is the beginning of the day. This is what Maglimo gets up and eats. Damn. What a start. <laughs> breakfast of champions. Down on Genghis 4, Ensign Kearns from the Carlsbad is there to greet. And it's Stevens, Rutherford, Mariner, and Boimler from the Cerritos. Stevens is sort of in charge of both teams being the ranking officer on the surface. And uh, the Carlsbad ensigns get put on disassemble the science station duty, which seems like a lot of demo for just three, like, soft-handed... <laughs> Starfleet ensigns to be asked to do. Sure seems that way. The Cerritos crew are on orb duty, uh, so they also have their work cut out for them. You're going to clear the area of fantasy rocks, which are still alive, so be careful. And when Stevens walks away, they try to kind of, you know, go up to the Carlsbad crew and be friendly, and they find that the Carlsbadies are... Uh, bit sniffy around them. Uh, yeah, we know who you are. Everyone's heard about the Cerritos. The Cerritos crew become really self-conscious about their reputation in a way that we really haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to care for the shenanigans of the Cerritos crew. They're far more fearful of their reputation than they are about the orbs, which they're told really to chill out about by Stevens. <laughs> like, just be careful. Nothing bad's going to happen with these fantasy orbs. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, Stevens is like, yeah, that'll dissipate in an hour or two. 
just keep calm and proceed with the disposal. Yeah. So they get to work. Keep calm and think of Parisi Squares is the advice. Yeah. And uh, that's a poster that is now available at podshop.biz. So optimistic. (laughs) Back up on the Cerritos, Miglimo starts in with his well-rehearsed spiel for training bridge science officers, because he's done this a million times before. He knows how to do this. Absolutely not. No, I didn't know they did this. (laughs) (laughs) This sucks. Miglimo hasn't come prepared, and the worst part is he doesn't care. It's like a substitute teacher where you're like, what? Why do you do this? Yeah. You're teaching from the book. You have no passion for the material. It looked like you are looking at the clock more often than I am. What the fuck are you doing here? At least a substitute knows that they'll be in a different building tomorrow. Maglimo's going to be there tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. <laughs> yeah, and if Tendi has like PTSD from a mission, she's going to be in his office. This is terrible. <laughs> you think his mentorship is going to be shitty, but we do arrive at one piece of advice that he gives to Tendi for the mission ahead. He's like, look, Science officers often have to put themselves front and center during the action of a mission. Mm. Get a distracted captain's attention. That's his advice. Yeah. So it sort of seems like this is sort of like your like homeroom before you go off and do all of your classes in high school. Right. Is the setup of this training because he is stating that that is sort of the goal of today's training and that Tendi will now be seconded to the captain's team and... She's going to be in the room while the captain is doing the, you know, high level negotiating that uh, Murakami didn't really finish up when he went off to do whatever other fucking bullshit he was up to. Because Murakami's bad at his job. Yeah. He's a bad boss. You know what? He might not be bad at his job. He's just not as good as DeSoto. I mean, it's a tough act to follow in Murakami's defense. How could you even try to follow that act? Yeah. You know, if they pulled out the chair for me and it was the hood... I wouldn't take a seat. That seat's too warm. Yeah. Too warm. That, that, that is now your chair, Captain. Uh, Back on Genghis 4, they're picking up the mind minds with a $10 reacher grabber tool that you'd find at a drugstore. <laughs> and Rutherford is confronted by the first of many fantasies we experience on this planet. It's Leah Brahms. Leah Brahms. No, man, no, think about Parisi Squares. Leah Brahms actual voiced by Susan Gibney. The Susan Gibney, amazing. Oh, so we have enough money for Susan Gibney. (laughs) Don't have enough money for Michael Kavanaugh. That's Hmm. what you're telling me? Oh, interesting. (laughs) Michael Kavanaugh, still alive. Sitting by the phone. 79 years young, ready to do a little voice acting work. Come on. Susan Gibney is playing a Leah Brahms that at first does not seem like she's going to be the oversexed hologram version of Leah Brahms. I'm guilty of a terrible crime, doctor. I mean, she's only talking about engineering stuff and like deuterium injectors or whatever, but then mm-hmm. it really does become clear that she is using these as uh, as sex euphemisms for Rutherford. Right. And uh, that's what he's into. He's into the exact same shit that Jordy's into. Oh, yeah. Dr. Brahms was instrumental in advancing warp field theory. Michael Kavanaugh, still working, still has credits from as recent as last year. Yeah. Look, I'm not besmirching the greatness of a Susan Gibney. I just want both. It was great to hear Susan Gibney's voice. Every time you look at this engine, you're looking at me. Agreed. How much would would Jordy have wanted this version of of Dr. Brahms, though? Oh, man. Actually loving you back. That's not unrecorded love. Let's be honest. If Jordy was on this mission, every time he used the reacher grabber to pick up a glowing orb, it would have been his mom still being (laughs) alive. You really think so? Yeah, I think that's... What a sad fantasy. Yeah. It's never going to be a girl actually wanting to have a second Coco No-No. Yeah. Total bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Boimler's fantasy is an admiral with an admiral's belt buckle pulling up on some sort of hover bike with a sidecar telling him that he's sort of being tapped to lead the fleet into battle with the Borgs. Yeah. Boimler loves this. Mariner's fantasy 
is Jennifer. Oh, hey, babe. Jennifer of uh, of being sort of the Newman of this series. What do you want, Jennifer? You know, that, like in the last episode of season two, they did sort of make up and... Uh, Makes me wonder if all that friction was because they had there was sexual tension that neither of them wanted to acknowledge. Something happened that changed us in a very deep and profound way. They're babing each other. What a massive reveal here. Wow. We're just hanging out. We're not into labels. In addition to how revealing Jen's costume is here, <laughs> wearing yeah. just a swimsuit on the planet. Yeah. It's got to be hard to make Mariner blush. Yeah. But this did it. This did it. Jennifer's babing... Mariner, Jennifer's babing Leah Brahms. It's babes all the way down. Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder what where this episode is going. It's it's getting a little sexy, right? The fantasies are coming fast and thick. Yeah. They're revealing a lot about these characters. But up on the ship, we meet Captain Mayer, who is in charge of the Carlsbad, and he is a shiny young captain, much younger than Captain Freeman. Yeah. What, did he just graduate from the academy yesterday? This is a tension that is of the non-sexual variety. Yeah. And uh, definitely twisting the knife on how much older she is than him at every opportunity. It'll be good to see how the old school knocks this out. Do you think this is intentional? It kind of feels intentional. It kind of feels like he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder about the older generation. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I feel like when you've got a bruise about something, it feels very easy to bump into a piece of furniture. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like you, you can't stop tonguing that cut in your mouth. Yeah. So, so are you suggesting that like if Freeman hadn't, you know, spoken under her breath, to ransom about how intimidated she was by this guy's youth that he wouldn't have led with like a, you're such an old school classic kind of language. <laughs> I think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. But like the totality of Mayer's commentary here, I mean, it is heavy. There's a lot of it. Yeah. God, like who's a worse captain Freeman Murakami or Mayer? <laughs> <laughs> I think Freeman's a great captain. I mean, she bombed Packlet Planet at him. She's a fucking criminal. She was proven innocent, Ben. Mm. She's a free captain. I'm pretty sure I heard that she bombed, and, and I saw footage of it, too. I'm a Captain Freeman truther. Wow. <laughs> so enter a rock-hard Scrabble and a scientist companion. Yeah. And they're there to review the treaty details over some light snacks. Yeah, there's a there's a nice little spread in there, and uh, they've come bearing gifts. The scrubble guy has a triangle shaped piece of rock. We can only assume that there's a lock of hair in there. Mm, indeed. <laughs> okay, but you be quiet, hair doll. He presents it as a as a token of friendship to the Starfleets, and Freeman tries to uh, tries to give it to Captain Mayer, and Mayer's like, no, 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 no that's kind of an old captain's thing. We don't really keep trinkets in my generation we're not trinket people yeah this is an argument that looks like two polite people arguing over a check but is it is actually like way more passive aggressive than one might think gets really intense and we cut back down to the surface and now the mind orb crew are like running from their fantasies you know boims gets tempted and then like has to get talked out of it and Every one of these things that they get rid of kind of, it seems like they kind of disappear their fantasy people in a puff of smoke, but it's a lot. And uh, it's like revealing more to each other than they want to reveal. And uh, it starts to become like a game of basketball where they're like doing over the top dunks into the orb containment device. I really like on this show, the Stevens dose that you get. <laughs> Like, it's never too much of him. It often feels like just the right amount. Right. He is a bizarre character that is just constantly funny to me. Yeah, he is like, he's like a lower rank than a lot of the other bridge crew. So you could see the show kind of falling to the temptation of having a lot of Stevens. Like, he's their boss Mm -hmm. that they're always having to deal with. Yeah. But he's not quite. He just comes in for little things like this, and he's like a shitty manager, but he's also easy for them to manage up toward because exactly. anytime they need him to do something they want, they just tell him it's going to make Ransom look bad if 
they do a different thing. His mistakes are often laugh out loud funny. Like I'm thinking of <laughs> of every instance of him and and the things that he says to try to impress, I think are funny to me. Yeah. In that way that like that false confidence is often extremely funny to me, you know? Yeah. He's like a, a the office kind of character right. in that way. So he doesn't like that they're basketballing the uh, the orbs, uh, but when he's persuaded that they need to get the orbs packed up real quick or the Carlsbad is going to look like they're a better crew and thereby embarrass Ransom, he tries to basketball them himself. Let's move some freaking rocks. Let me show you how a pro does it. Which knocks over the containment unit and breaks open a bunch of orbs. And now... All hell breaks loose because it's not fantasies that show up. It's nightmares. It's uh, Klingon clowns and assimilated snakes and uh, terrifying characters from the animated series. Uh That's odd. I've never seen a combination like this before. It's just not what you want. Jen turns into a werewolf version of herself. She does, yeah. Which I think made the furry community of Star Trek fans pretty happy. I mean, some segments were really disappointed because they don't want it to be scary. Oh, yeah. Unless that's what you're into. I guess so, yeah. I mean, did she turn into a werewolf or was she killed by her own werewolf alter ego? I mean, she was killed by the werewolf alter ego. But it's also Jennifer. Yes. But in the same way that there are multiple Klingon killer clowns. Right. Like maybe the multiplicity of them, much like the Michael Keaton movie. Hmm is a terrifying thing to imagine and uh, not something you want to watch for the first time, let alone multiple times. The combination of the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space and the movie Multiplicity more than anything. Right. Pizza. I like pizza. Oh, like it. Pizza. We need to score a lot of laughs fast. licensed businessman. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, Nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Now you remember that, you hear? What do you do in Star Trek when you're on an away mission and shit pops off? You run into some Star Trek caves and you shoot the opening with phasers to cause a bunch of rocks to fall down. So the Cerritos ensigns and the Carlsbad ensigns wind up in the Star Trek caves. And this is when... The Carlsbad guys kind of reveal that it wasn't that they were judging the Cerritos crew. They actually felt intimidated by how cool the Cerritos crew was. Yeah. Yeah. They've heard tale of the Cerritos crew. We watched this episode a couple of times, Ben, and it's so interesting to revisit that earlier scene and Mm -hmm. see how the Carlsbad crew treats the Cerritos crew through this lens because it does pencil out. It does, yeah. We've heard about how you do things on the Cerritos. We're not here to screw around. They did a really good job of making it, like, I think it's a very hard thing to write that you interpret it the way the Cerritos crew does the first time, and then when you reconsider it, you can see it from the Carlsbad crew's perspective. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time in real life, but it is really tricky to write in a way that's subtle enough that it isn't just showing your hand, you know? That concept torments us constantly, doesn't it? Hmm, That's all I ever think about. Not me, buddy. (laughs) Turn the page. The Captain's Trinket argument has completely taken over the diplomatic relations. It's all anyone is talking about. Yeah. So frustrating. Tendi tries to involve herself by scanning the object and announcing that there's something weird inside, but there's so much argument happening around her that that no one pays her any mind. She can't be heard. Yeah. We do get some like darting glances between the scrubble and the uh outpost scientist, but uh that scrubble guy just rock hard in this scene. Yeah. It's like yikes, dude. <laughs> I believe it has been four hours. Might be time to uh yeah. have that looked at. That loincloth barely containing what he's rocking. <laughs> That argument is just like a background thing that is happening for a long time in this episode. And back in the Star Trek cave, we get some exchanges of anecdotes from the two crews. And, uh, you know, there's some jealousy on the Carlsbad part. All the other Cali-class ships just do what they're told, but the Cerritos kicks ass. They're talking about this when the Borg snake breaches the cave and starts barfing basketballs at them. Yeah. And they're like, what what are the basketballs? Who's afraid? Who here? Who amongst us fears the basketball? And it turns out it's no one. It's just like any idea that has come up recently. I mean, they initially blame Rutherford, which I think is just a disgusting stereotype. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Rutherford's like, yeah, the first time I've heard the word in many years was recently. Yeah, it was when Stevens was uh, doing dunks on the uh, containment unit. Yeah. We didn't talk about how Stevens got turned into a yeah. <laughs> a statue and then his arms got broken off. That poor guy. Ouch. Wow. RSVP Stevens, he won't ever be back. And what's up with Jen's hat? Yeah. That's weird too. So that like the totality of the strange outside the cave. It's really intense now. Yeah. It's Rutherford that finds something inside the cave that has been streaming data. And so they wheel around and go deeper into the cave to investigate. In Six Bay, the 
discouraged Tendi goes to seek the counsel, not of Maglima, but of Dr. Katz. Her name is Dr. Tana. And Dr. Katz is working on a guy who has a weird critter, like, sucking on the end of his foot. And I really like the comedy math of this conversation because Dr. Katz is like great as a mentor, but terrible with bedside manner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is such a funny combination because it's like so helpful for Tendi, but the guy on the slab is just more and more terrified <laughs> every passing phrase. You're fine. Just relax. I need a sedative over here. Dr. Katz's advice, I think, is universal, really. What what she's making the case for is like, you can't sit on the outskirts of a meeting and expect the management class to even know your name. Like you got to get in there and involve yourself and be willing to take professional risks to get professional rewards. Yeah. So get in there and, and lean the fuck in. Sometimes you feel like a lower deck, but you don't realize there are decks even lower than yours, Tendy. It's true. And then she goes to work on her patient with a Starfleet-issued chainsaw. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a surgical chainsaw. (laughs) I want to see this as cosplay. This is big fun. Yeah, You're not going to be allowed to bring that into a convention, but it's fun to think about. Yeah, you can make it out of like uh, foam core and stuff, you know. Yeah. Not a working medical chainsaw, all right? We don't need that. Nobody needs that. In the Star Trek caves, they find a door and they open the door and they find what looks like a really big version of these mental minds and they start scanning them. They realize that this thing is just collecting all of the thoughts of everyone and storing them. And storing them on Federation computer technology. Yeah. This is stuff that the outpost scientists must have set up. Right. With their rock hard partners. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes pretty clear that there is some kind of diabolical conspiracy going on between the right. outpost scientists and the scrubble. But there's no way to get word up to the ships because yeah. they're in a cave and caves are thick. And, uh, you know, even if they could radio the captain, the captain would be still distracted by this fucking trinket argument that she's still having. Right. The argument finally comes to a head and it's Tendi who gets herself in the middle of it. She busts open the gift, and it reveals the Federation ship inside, which makes clear the (laughs) rock-hard scrubble partnership with the scientist has been an evil plan. Yeah, it's been an evil plan the whole time. A spy plan. Yeah, and uh, the away team crew has made it back up to the ship, and they're covered in barf for some reason. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure why they had barf on them. But, uh, well, I mean, they fought their way out of the cave using improvised weapons, and it seems like their nightmare monsters bled on them. Oh, is that is that blood? You fall into some crud or something? I think it's nightmare blood. Huh. Kind of looked more like barf to me, but... Maybe there's a cutscene yeah. that was vomit-centric. Where the fear overcomes them, and they're just barfing everywhere? Yeah. 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 I kind of thought that might be the case. So yeah, the outpost scientists and the scrubble guy are uh, trying to excuse themselves, but uh, Shax kind of shoves them down into their seats, and uh, we kind of cut away, and we get in a voiceover that uh, these guys are going to be subjected to some sort of justice system intervention for trying to uh, plant a listening device in a captain's office. Oof. They were going to be selling uh, sensitive Starfleet information on the black market. Can't do that. I mean, it can't have been that sensitive. It's just Cali class sensitive, right? Mm, That's hurtful, (laughs) but true. (laughs) What kind of prison can hold this rock hard scrubble guy, though? Mm, You have to be like a diamond prison. Hard to imagine. So the button occurs at the bar on the Cerritos, where we see that Stevens has grown two arms back in kind of one of those like broken arm cast situations mm-hmm. with the supports in the shoulders. Yeah. He's got a long straw of that cocktail though, man. I don't know how he expects to drink that cinnamon schnapps no. out of a glass. He's got a real drinking problem. Does no one like him enough to help him? I mean, it seems That's like- That's the sadness of this scene. It seems like Ransom is a little bit uncomfortable with the way Stevens treats him. <laughs> Based on this episode. Right. Maglimo and Tendi catch up. Maglimo really taking all of the credit for Tendi's success in this episode. 
really not reading the room. It's hard to believe Tendi is going to stick with him after this. Would you guess that this is it? I mean, she's so positive and she's such a yes person Yeah. that I wonder if this is going to be ongoing, that she won't come up with a way to get free of him. I don't know. It seemed like last season was sort of setting her up for this being her arc. So it, it seems like that would kind of stand to reason, but maybe she has like different trainers uh, on different days of the week in the uh, science training program. Yeah, maybe so. Captain Meyer and Captain Freeman have made peace. She gives him a gift of a rock yeah. from Jengus as kind of a peace offering. Yeah, it's a piece of the uh, artifact from before, but uh, de-weaponized, as it were. Like a piece of the Berlin Wall, you know? It's kind of a cool thing to have on your desk. If you were going to go down to the surface of the planet and gather a bunch of uh, similarly shaped bricks, could you put together yourself a uh, a game of Jengus Jenga? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And if a uh, Mongol leader decided to play that game with you, would that be Genghis Jengus Jenga? Yes. And if that guy had like an infection on one of his extremities that smelled a bit like almond, would that be gangrenous Genghis Jengus Jenga? <laughs> yes, it would be. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up. You won that one three to one. <laughs> Seems like these Carlsbad people really admire the Cerritos crew at the end of the day. They're Cali class famous to them, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Except for Boimler's rep is as sort of an R2-D2 type character. In the fleet, nobody understands that he's actually a people. His legend is so unusual <laughs> that no one can believe an actual person has experienced what he has. Yeah. That's fun. I like the amount of just like slamming Boimler for being... A skinny weirdo <laughs> doing this season. Like, they call him like bird bodied at one point in the episode. This episode ends with a kind of sitcom trope of a character being needled and going, Come on, guys, to, to credit. Uh -huh. That, as much as I like the episode, felt like if that's not intentional as a lean into the trope, I was like, Ah, oh, that's where we're going to end it, I guess. <laughs> I was a little bit unsatisfied with its specific ending, but Ben, did you enjoy the episode as a whole? I did enjoy this episode. I thought it was uh, quite funny. A little light, I would say. Not an episode that feels like it is totally changing the course of Lower Decks or anything, but... Uh, I, I think it was like a really nicely drawn observation of how powerfully our insecurities can color the way we interpret what people say. And right. that's both in the A story and the B story. Like what Captain Freeman is going through is really similar to that. It's very thematic in that way. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a ton of comedy to be mined from that. And this episode does a good job in maximizing that. And uh, I mean... Any episode that has Batleth armed killer Klingon clowns is okay by me. How about you, Adam? I think it's interesting how you described the central conflict in this episode, because while it is mined for comedy effect in this episode, it's something that causes a lot of people great pain in real life. The idea of having a reputation that you can't change or especially in a social media world so interconnected when a person can often be described as something they're not or told who they are or how they feel right. or what they think by someone who can't possibly know those things. The, the worst days I have on social media are people telling me who I am or how <laughs> I feel or what I think. Right. And, and those people don't know me. And so like, while it is a very rich comedy vein to mine, there's also like a dark truth to it that I think some of the best comedy embodies. True. So in that way, I mean, that's not a way to answer the question about whether or not I enjoyed the episode. I really did. I like Fantasy Orb as a MacGuffin. I think that's interesting. <laughs> I was blown away by Mariner's fantasy. 
I admire the restraint of not unleashing fantasy orbs on everyone in the crew. I think there's a version of this story where fantasy orbs break aboard the ship and all of a sudden we're seeing everyone's fantasy in a way that might have weakened the episode due to just like the volume of that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I dug it. I like it. I mean, I think if we'd seen Tendi's fantasy, it would have just been her taking a test. So it's like- right. Yeah, I think we can safely guess what hers would have been and what McGlemo's would have been. (laughs) But, like, what's Freeman's? Yeah. And do you want to know? Like, there's this distance that a Starfleet captain has. She's fucking Admiral Buenamigo. Hey, Uncle S. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) There's, like, a useful distance that Starfleet captains have from the crew and from the viewer. Like that unknowability that makes them interesting that I wonder if if that wouldn't be ruined by breaking open an orb around Captain Freeman. Sure. Oh, you know what? Man, I just realized I gotta gotta walk some of my praise of this episode back. We're far enough from the beginning that my outrage had dissipated a little bit, but I gotta move this episode into the do not like category just over the disservice it does to Captain DeSoto. You're right, Ben. I cannot possibly like... Any piece of Star Trek media that seeks to erase Captain DeSoto. Not cool. Or at least explain his absence. Yeah. You telling me you couldn't fix this with a stitch of dialogue? He retired happy. Admiral DeSoto has ordered us to, or yeah, after visiting our old friend, Captain Rhett DeSoto. (laughs) You know what? We decided to take this moment to rechristen the hood as the USS DeSoto in honor of one of Starfleet's great captains. Hell yeah. How long did that take to say, Ben? Four seconds. Yeah. that's And and you can do it in voiceover. You don't even have to animate lip sync, you know? God damn it. Oof. A real low point in Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah. That's today's episode. Yeah. Super shitty. It's going to take a long time to get over. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if we come back to review this show next week. But uh, in the meantime, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the old inbox? Sure do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Mark Allen, and it is to Wendy, Adam, and Ben. Hey, that's us. Message goes like this. How's it, Greatest Trek team? (laughs) I am working through the Greatest Gen and sent a P1 ahead on that show for when I catch up. But today I finished the current greatest disco eps and recently found out that Ben and his wife were expecting. So in celebration, I decided to send some scarves over here as well. Loved the spectacular. Live long and prosper. Thank you, Mark Allen. That is very kind of you. Mark Allen getting inspiration from all kinds of places like back catalog greatest gen eps. Yeah. Current generation greatest discovery ups and your baby. Yeah, I mean, this is greatest Trek, not even greatest no. discovery, yeah. you know? Thanks, Mark Allen. It sounds like Mark Allen listened to the greatest discovery and that's what inspired this. Hey, Adam, I know that we usually uh, split the money we get from P1's 50 50, but since this one's like sort of inspired by my, my baby, do you think I can keep like 60% of it this time? Yeah, I think that's fine. Okay, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Hey, would you mind just not looking at the Uxbridge Shimoda credit card statement for like the next two months? Yeah, dude, I'm going to I'm gonna be on paternity leave, so I'm, I'm probably going to be kind of not paying a ton of attention. No specific reason, yeah. but I'm about to go to Star Trek Las Vegas next week and uh, <laughs> at the time of this recording. Right, so, right. I don't think there's anything you're going to need to see there. Okay. Okay. Cool. Fair. Next priority one message here is from Pants on the Discord, and it's to Ben and Adam. Goes like this. Shamelessly begging you for a new Voyager drop. I know you hate it, but what this Jatron presupposes is you don't? Matt Walsh is little Donnie screaming, Tuvok, never get home. Uh, And then uh, (laughs) Pants has shared... The link to a, a Facebook link, a, a Facebook video of a, a, a the kids in the hall TV show sketch of little Donnie, the boy with the enormous penis that he's he's unaware of. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, 
like it's like a we are the world style like everybody in the everybody in the studio with their hand on their uh-huh, headphones uh-huh. singing a tribute song for little donnie that's fun and uh, his contribution is uh, is about tubak finding his way home. so here's the thing pants i'm familiar with this sketch I, i'm a fan but they're singing and there's backing vocals and the quality of the clip is super low. Like it is, this is like a 160 by 240 resolution Ooh. video. Yeah, with, it looks shitty on my watch. With audio compression to match. Yeah. And there's like backing music. I just don't think it's droppable, you know? Like you you want nice clean source material to make a drop. No dirty drops on this show. Here's what I would suggest. I know that Matt Walsh is a frequent podcast guest. He also has his own podcast, Improv for Humans. Try to call this into something that Matt Walsh is on. Ask him to give us a clean read on the line in the character. I don't know if he's up for this or not. You know, I mean, Pants didn't know if we'd be up for this. Right. I'm for it. I'm saying I'm for it. I just don't want to do it with this audio. So if you could get Matt Walsh to deliver a clean take in character saying the line, I think we would consider having it as a drop on The Greatest Generation. Maybe we'd even use it over here on Greatest Trek. Who knows? Who knows? Hard to predict. Well, if you'd like to call your shot or... uh, congratulate me on the uh, incoming baby in my family, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Get yourself a P1. You know, it couldn't hurt. It's only a hundred bucks for a personal message. And if you've got like a little business thing you want to promote or a a podcast of your own, 200 bucks, that's a steal. That's way less than we charge our advertisers on this program. Oh, yeah. We should be charging a lot more for P1, says Benjamin R. Harrison. That's what I feel. And uh, <laughs> I would encourage you to uh, to go do it. Helps us keep the lights on around here. No joke. They really do. They mean a lot to us. And we appreciate all of you for putting in for them. Maximumfun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! I got to give it to Susan Gibney, reprising the role of Leah Brahms. Very fun. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, Leah Brahms, a character that is very fraught. We've talked a lot about this on our hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation, what Leah Brahms represents both as a depiction of a female character in, you know, 1980s television and what the storyline surrounding her represented for Geordie. And a lot of complicated feelings. I think it's cool that Susan Gibney has a good enough sense of humor about it to reprise the role and poke fun at it at the same time. And it clearly sounded like she was having a great time doing that. So she's my Edward Larkin for this episode. Good pick. How about you, Adam? Ben, my Edward Larkin is going to be Captain... Morikami. What are you doing? (laughs) You can't replace a legend. Why even try? Come on, Morikami. What the fuck? That's it. Yeah. That's all of the support I need for that argument. Yeah. I don't think you need to say anything else at him. Well, uh, this is uh, the end of the episode. And on the end of episodes of Greatest Trek, we like to call out fun things that uh, people say about the show on social media we talked a lot about DeSoto erasure in today's episode. And sure did. today's tweet from at Night Springs FM, the major from Bajor on Twitter, they posted a screen cap of trying to put the word NUC in on Wordle and being told that NUC is not in the word list. How dare you, Wordle? And they uh, they tagged it with the comment, this is bullshit. This is at Greatest Trek Erasure. What am I supposed to rock now? Which I think is a great question. What indeed. Um, so thank you at Night Springs FM on Twitter. If you're on Insta or Twitter, post uh, about the show. Tag at Greatest Trek and uh, we'll certainly see it. And we might pick it to talk about on a future episode. Hmm. Recommend us to your community, you know. Tell them why you like the show. That's a surefire way to get recognized here on the podcast. Sure is. We have Miriam viewers. Yeah. 
on Greatest Trek. But we want Miriam more. <laughs> All right, Adam, let's throw the keys to our producer, Wendy Pretty, to uh, tell us about what's happening on the show next week. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Coming up on Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 4, it's Room for Growth. Mariner, Boimler, and Tendi clash with their arch rivals, Delta Shift. And the Cerritos engineers go on mandatory relaxation leave. Adam Ragusea is the person who created the original music that we use on this show. He's also got a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel, and you can find them by searching for Adam Ragusea. Nick Dittmore made the show art, and Bill Tilly runs the social media pages. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter, and use the hashtag Greatest Trek to talk about the show online. There are a lot of ways that you can help support this podcast. You can become a member by setting up a monthly gift at MaximumFun.org join, and we are really grateful to everyone who does that. Ratings and recommendations also help spread the word and grow the community of Friends of DeSoto. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Where was Murakami on January 6th? Ooh, shit. Probably not somewhere good. (laughs) No, not at all. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.